You're listening to She Time Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. Today, we're talking women in the invisible workload with Dr. Emily Stone. Welcome to She Time, your me time destination featuring smart and fun conversations aimed at helping women to prioritize self-care and one of the hottest new self-care conversation series around, if I must say so myself. I'm your host, Alexandra Sampson, self-care advocate and founder of the She First Project. And I'm so happy that you are joining me and other women around the globe for today's episode. If you're not familiar with the She First Project, I encourage you to head over to shefirstproject.org for more information about our self-care initiatives. Today, I am joined by Dr. Emily Stone, a licensed marriage and family therapist and assistant professor at Pfeiffer University in Charlotte, North Carolina, to discuss the topic of women and the invisible workload. Now, if you've paid attention to opinion columns or your social media feed lately, I'm sure you've seen articles circulating on topics such as emotional labor, the mental load, or the invisible workload. Those terms have been loosely used to describe the unseen mental work and energy that many women undertake in managing their roles within and outside the home and in caring for their families. I like to think of it as the thinking about your to-do list before you even tackle one item on it. Emily and I discussed the impact the invisible workload has on self-care and family dynamics and a few practicals to reduce mental busyness. Today's episode is near and dear to my heart because although you're hearing it as the third episode in the season, it is actually the first episode I recorded for She Time. Now with any new thing, there's a learning curve, so I will apologize in advance for the shifting in the audio quality for this episode, but I promise you the content is well worth the listen as Dr. Emily really drops a few jewels during the episode. Shout out also to Picture Lock Productions, who has come on board since uh, to help engineer the podcast and has greatly improved our audio quality. Now, before we get started, I'd like for you to do me and yourself a huge favor. Stop what you're doing and grab your beverage of choice. She Time is your me time destination. So relax a little, grab a cup of coffee or tea, a glass of wine or bottled water, and get comfortable as we chat with Dr. Emily about women and the invisible workload. Dr. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today on She Time. Before we dive into today's topic, can you tell our listeners what you're sipping on? I am sipping on water, which is a little boring, but I try not to drink anything caffeinated past about 3 o'clock because I have enough energy as it is. I won't go to sleep if I do otherwise. Yeah. But I am a big coffee and tea lover. I love both of those. English breakfast is my favorite kind of tea. Okay. Yeah. So I am not much better. I am actually also drinking water, but lemon-infused water. So maybe it makes it sound a little fancier. But It's a, um, it's a little bit fancier than my Dasani. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, I also try to limit the caffeine to... Uh, particularly if I'm doing coffee, like one cup a day, um, generally yeah. in the mornings, and then by the afternoon I'm having some sort of herbal tea, you know, or or something. So I'm I'm with you on limiting the ca- caffeine, you know, later in the day. Yeah, I do I do love different kinds of herbal teas. I like those too, and I probably do more like two cups in the morning. But yes, I I, li- I like my coffee. Just 
Um, if it's after three, I'm going to do decaf. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And before we get into our discussion, if you wouldn't mind, you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your work in family and marriage therapy. Yes, absolutely. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm also an approved supervisor for marriage and family therapists. I am an assistant professor for marriage and family therapy at Pfeiffer University. Um, which has an accredited marriage and family therapy program. I teach classes on counseling couples, sex therapy, trauma, diversity, children, adolescents. I love teaching. I love what I do. I've been in private practice for about 10 years. I work with couples on communication, anger, transitions, loss, and parenting. And I also work with men and women around the issues of loss, transitions, anger, depression and anxiety from a relational, systemic, holistic approach. But also, I really enjoy working with teenagers, too, around um, different kinds of issues and trauma and sexual identity. So a lot comes through the door, a lot. It certainly is definitely hits a a number of issues that I know um, certainly almost any family can relate to. So um, thank you so much for, you know, the work that you're, you're doing. And the topic that we're talking about today in particular um, is women and the invisible workload. And I'm going to jump out of order a little bit with our questions here, but um, maybe you could start by talking a bit high level at what is the invisible workload. This topic has been one that I've been following because there's been a slew of articles, I would probably say, over the, at least I've become more aware of them over the last six months. But um, I think there's been, um, you know, articles dating back for a lot longer than that as uh, as well on this topic. And it you hear so many different phrases thrown out, whether it's um, the invisible workload or the mental load or emotional labor. And before we start to talk a bit more about that, would you mind setting up for the list? And there's like, what is the invisible workload. Yeah, I love language, and I think it's so wonderful when people in different fields, like journalists, come up with these phrases that really just help us think about what's been going on for a long time, but think about it in a unique way, in a different way. It kind of unlocks the conversation in a certain way. So I I love that, um, this invisible emotional workload. I think we carry invisible labor when it comes to managing the home, our children, and relationships. And honestly, Alex, I think it has to do with identity. So whether we like it or not, people are still socialized to associate the house, children, and relationship management within the family, both the nuclear and the family at large, with the woman. Um, the wife and the mom. And so I, I see this happen a lot, for example, in maybe, I don't know, I, this isn't true probably for every family, but I've, I've seen this, and when I have mentioned this, people are like, oh, yeah, that, that totally is what happens. But if a family is having friends over, the wife will, you know, she'll probably be pretty anxious to get the house looking nice. And it's so common for the husband to say something like, don't worry about it, it's fine, they won't care. And he means well, but that's the thing is the 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 cleanliness or how the house looks isn't as tied to his identity as it is to hers. So even if they're not thinking about it, even if it's at a subconscious level, 
Um, I mean, who do you think? If they if the house looks really great, or if it doesn't, who who they attribute it to? It's usually the woman. So I mean, even when things look nice in the house, like if the wall is a pretty pink color, who are they probably going to ask about it? Probably the female. <laughs> and I think that happens with um, children too. They, you know, we want to be seen as good people. We want to be seen as good moms. So we pick up this labor that's associated with our identity. And it's, it's, identity is is a really strong motivator, and we 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 want to be good at what um, we're associated with, and that includes being a good mom and a good wife, and um, and so it's it's just kind of socialized into us in this way. You know, I, I love the fact that you drew the connection between kind of this um, maybe mental work that um, I think myself as a woman really identifies with in um, drawing the connection between that and um, an identity and, you know, also really goes into, you know, how is that identity shaped? Is that something that I saw patterned in my own household? Is it something that's societal and then I kind of feel obligated because of you know maybe I'm aware of the more you know societal standards and um, I think it's good to think about as we as we think through you know what is this actual mental work that um, you know a lot of women feel burdened by and I think as we talk about a little bit later maybe some ways to manage it a bit better I think identity definitely would play a big role in in that. Yeah, and it's real. I mean, it's a it's, it's a real it's, it's a real issue, and and more goes into it, of course, than just identity. I, although I do think that's a strong component. Um, I do think that whether it's biological or social, that women are kind of trained up to notice details. They notice things, and um, and they they work towards that. And so, I think you know, there's there's lots of things that play in play into that. So one of the things that uh, we're going to be talking about is we have an upcoming Articles Club discussion, and we're really fortunate that um, Dr. Stone will serve as a guest facilitator for that discussion in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of the articles, which is not really an article, it's more of a kind of um, cartoon, (laughs) um, maybe a cartoon essay, if you will, um, that I love, and, and I think it's one of the taglines for me anyways, when I think about this concept of kind of um, the mental load or invisible workload, and it goes through the sketch of a, a woman who invited someone over for um, dinner, and as the guest comes in, you know, she's getting everything together, and her husband's present, and he's kind of on the sofa, and things kind of go awry, and then he says, well, why didn't you ask me for help? <laughs> you know? um, and I think that's kind of the, maybe the poster child for a lot of this invisible work. And I know in my own um, household, as my husband and I, you know, work through, you know, you know, issues that stem from this. And we talk about the things that I think about, you know, maybe just innately and the things that I, I want to, you know, not have to ask about that I want in the same way that I kind of think of them maybe organically that I want him to also think of them you know in that way as well um how have you seen this I guess maybe that dynamic the you know kind of that question of well um 
you know, you could have just asked, and you know, I'm here to help, you know, as much as I can. Have you seen that play out in your in your practice? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I it gets manifested in a lot of different ways, and I do think it goes back again to what we have been socialized to feel responsible for, what's tied to our identity. And I think there is this hidden curriculum, um, not just in our homes, but in the media and literature that we read, and the hidden curriculum, just like, you know, it kind of plays off also the whole uh, unseen or the invisible workload, this hidden curriculum that teaches what roles are for males and females. And, and they're really just kind of ingrained into us. And I think it, it for better or for worse, it does take some conscious effort in couples to go against the grain. Um, and I think that it takes some patience. Unfortunately, I mean, it's not fair. I'm not saying this is fair. Unfortunately, it does take, take some patience um, on the female side to have, con- you know, consistent, kind conversations and hopefully um, some openness from the husband to reciprocate those conversations and um, efforts. You know, John Gottman, he is a really famous couples uh, therapist and researcher now, and his research says that the most successful couples, in the most successful couples, heterosexual couples, uh, the, the male is willing to be influenced by the wife. And so I think this is a really significant piece here when she is looking for help, when she's looking to reorganize um, how things are noticed and responsibilities that are picked up on, that he is able to accept her, um, well, you know, I hate that word, nagging, but mm-hmm. <laughs> accept, accept um, that influence from her when she is bringing it up and really take it seriously. So I think they both have a responsibility to, to play um, in, in, this, in these changes that really do need to be made if it's going to be an equitable relationship where both feel seen and heard. Um, you know, I think that's that's um, really great, and it resonates um, or brings to mind, again, you know, going back to the discussions that we've had in our household, you know, certainly has, that has been prompted by these articles. <laughs> I love the fact that, that there's been more articles on this issue because I can, like, forward my husband <laughs> links to articles and say, okay, read this. This author has put into, you know, words what I've been struggling to try to explain, <laughs> Um but I think one of the big benefits from that is it has facilitated the discussion, you know, within our in our household. So I think as we have more discussions on on these topics, it's allowed him to be able to better understand. Okay, I, I get a glimpse for kind of the mental, um, you know, juggle that you're doing, and it allows him to find ways to help to reduce that a bit. So one of the things that we, one example that we've noted in our household is kind of, you know, who kind of initiates um, cleaning, you know, certain areas of the house, you know, and um, right. I just, I, I'm just like, okay, so this is the sink of piled up, it's time to clean them, like, no one has to, to ask me to do that, and I just do it, and, you know, but I think having those discussions about, okay, I, want, I would like for you to, you know, have this, take the same initiative where I don't have to think about it to to even ask, you know, to have it done. Um, but I think that that's prompted, you know, yeah. to be, step in and fill in in that way. 
Well, what I love hearing about there, Alex, is it sounds like he's willing to accept that influence from you and have those conversations. And it reminds me of another idea from John Gottman that every couple has something called perpetual problems. They they don't go away, really. <laughs> and, um, and, and that can be a little discouraging, but I find the concept kind of liberating, too, because it it just tells us, okay, this is kind of normal, and yeah, this is one of the very typical perpetual problems. And what what you do instead of getting gridlocked is just try to continually try new things, be creative, continue to have dialogue. Both of you lean in. Um, both of you try to listen and see what um, you can do to yeah to make make those changes. And of course, I mean. It's, it says perpetual problems, but things do move and things do change over time. So, yeah, but I, I love hearing about how you and your your husband are kind of working through that because I think it is this is this is real and this is so very common for couples, even when not even when both of them don't work. I mean, this is this is a real thing. So I want to segue into a question now that we're talking about. Um, you know, kind of the men, you know, and their role in this in this picture. Because I know that if my husband, and when my husband does listen to this, <laughs> he's gonna say, "Hey, you know, there are there are aspects of you know our household management that he definitely is." Um, you know, the initiator in. And so, for example, probably as I think about this, the laundry in our house, like he is definitely on top of the laundry. I don't have to ask him. That's just his, you know, for whatever reason, that's the thing that, you know, he does. And there's, you know, it's not me prompting or prodding or, or what have you. And that's probably an area that he would say that I'm, you know, probably a little... I have a lighter load in, in terms of the mental work on that. And, and it bring, brings to mind a question that's come up in some of the articles and in response to some of the articles on the invisible workload, which involve around do men also carry an invisible workload? Because, of course, there can be this perception. And I think it's in part because of um, maybe is some of what you mentioned at the outset about maybe in part some of the societal you know norms about who has what role in a relationship um, that the women are going to have most of the mental workload on on most things because they're, at least in the context of the home, are typically the household managers. And, you know, I guess the question is, is do men also carry an invisible load and is it equal to the same extent of, you know, the load that a woman carries? Is it lighter? I know one of the the articles calls it a lightness of mind. <laughs> and, you know, I guess just to talk a bit about, about that as well. Well, the, the, the piece I really want to hit on here, you know, one of the articles refers to it as emotional labor. And I think a big piece to men's emotional labor is that they're not allowed to have it. So they have emotions that they are not, according to how they've been socialized, allowed, um, according to how men and boys are supposed to express their emotions. Or certain emotions are acceptable, like anger. So maybe it's okay to express anger, but really underneath that anger is some pretty intense grief and pain. And so they they can't, you know, they, they haven't been... Um, socialized to feel like it, there's room to, to share that. And I think um, that manifests through higher rates of addiction and suicide in men than women. 
Um, there's, like I mentioned, there's also that hidden curriculum threaded throughout literature and other forms of media that socializes certain roles, like you said, for boys and girls. And boys learn that they're supposed to be in charge, whatever that means. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And what we know is that some of this pressure um, and an ability to talk about it, right, because they're not really supposed to, is that it leads to depression. But that depression is manifested in ways differently than for women. So it doesn't always get diagnosed and recognized, and so that means it doesn't always get treated. So I think that men definitely have a flip side of this equation in which really when you're going to be, I mean, I like to tell my students that being pro-woman is being pro-man. Because when we can establish um, equitable relationships, equitable power structures, it helps both. Because these inequalities are really hard on both genders, really hard in different ways. I like that. And I, I think it's it's something that I, as a woman, need to be reminded of in that I think um, a lot of times we can focus on the differences that may appear, you know, on the surface, but I think it's really paying attention to, you know, more of the similarity yeah. with respect yeah. to those mental workloads. I think it helps to allow us to be able to have a conversation about the issue um, that allows both sides to see that, hey, we both have the same issue. Maybe it plays out, a, you know, a bit differently, but um, but there's room for us to both work work here, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's things look differently, they get manifested differently, but these issues, they are affecting both um, both men and women, both husband and wife, both mom and dad. Absolutely. So one question, um, and I, I wanted to talk a bit about some practicals and how we can, you know, reduce this mental busyness. But um, mm -hmm. before we get there, one question I'm curious about is that, you know, the She First Project is focused on, you know, self-care for women. And, you know, one of the things that I've thought about is how much of the mental load uh, and how does that really play into self-care issues and not really prioritizing self-care. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, for me, a lot of times, you know, where I probably thwart my self-care efforts most are when I sit down to think about, this is not even taking action, when I sit down to think about, you know, all the things that I have to do or mm -hmm. that I need to do. And usually by the time that I mm -hmm. do that mental exercise, I'm like, yeah, right, I don't have time to go, you know, do pleasure reading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and I'm just curious, have you seen a connection between, you know, some of the issues that stem around mental busyness um, and a lack of self-care in women? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, again, I think language and the word choices we make are really um, insightful and important and telling. And I heard you say, Alex, um, the things I have to do. And that, that's something I always pick up on in myself and in others, particularly women, when we use words like have to, should, you know, some of my clients know, like, I, I don't, I don't like the word should. I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's things we all should do, but I mean, we should love ourselves and we love, we should love others, but it's really those should. That when we use that word, it's like, oh man, I should go to that baby shower, and 
I don't know. I, I think that we have to pay attention because um, really we, we, we do have choice. We, we really do. But I think um, another uh, thing I like to, to look at is this whole idea of self-care as being selfish and and the guilt around that. It's almost a badge of honor to be selfless as a mom. But I think, again, I think that's the wrong word. I don't really think we mean that word. I don't, I don't think that's the word we want to use. I prefer the word self-giving, and we can't be self-giving if we don't have a self to give. You know, I mean, if we're not, our, our cup's empty, we, we can't pour it out. So busyness is also a badge of honor for women, especially moms. You're, you know, right? You're a good mom if you talk about all the carpools you're running and the snacks you're bringing, right? I mean, that's, I mean, whoever's busiest is probably the best mom, whatever that means. And, Even in the midst of that equation, the addition of perfectionism that's really fueled by what we see on social media. Um, We compare our worst moments, which we all have, with everyone's best moments that they're posting on social media. Um, So someone posts that they made homemade bread today, and we get in our head that all the moms out there are making homemade bread every day. And (laughs) we think that, again, we think we should be making homemade bread every day. Um, my kids probably won't even eat the homemade bread if I make it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think there's, there's so much at play there. And, um, and, and I think our language choice is, is usually pretty telling about where we are there. But again, I think the self-giving and having a self to give is where we need to be. And, um, and, and that's the, and, the, and that's, that's hard. I mean, yeah, we, we, we really are all busy. We do have full schedules. So it, it is, it is hard. Yeah. I like that the term self-giving. Um another term that was brought to my attention recently was self-full. Mm-hmm. And the same idea that you noted in that you have to fill yourself up in order to be able to, you know, you know, essentially have a, enough of an overflow if you will to be able to give to others and seeing that you, that we all should be operating from a self from a place of self-full or self-fullness. Um, yes. And I like this, the self-giving um, term as well and you know, kind of bringing home that idea and that. And it's something that I have to proactively still work on. And um, when I'm thinking about things and, and the first thought that comes to mind is like, oh, I'm being selfish or I'm being self-focused. No, you know, this is what I need to be able to be, you know, self-giving or self-full to be able to, you know, do all the other things that, you know, are important to me and that seem important, you know. Absolutely. Yes, it is so important. And when you're taking care of yourself, you are taking care of others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard, though. I mean, and I think part of that is paying attention to how our identity affects our choices, um, noticing when we're making decisions because of image and identity and being willing to let others do things, even if it means the ball will be dropped, right? I mean, I mean, sometimes delegating means they're not going to do it just the way we think it should be done. And that's with my kids, right? That's that's really – I need to be doing that so they can learn, even if they don't clean the toilet exactly the way <laughs> I would want it to be cleaned, right? And, I mean, and when and, and bigger things, I mean, when the ball gets dropped a few times, someone else tends to pick it up. So I think it's, it's being comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, in certain places. So and having honest conversations and 
being willing to have those as kindly as consistently as you can. But I, I do think there's other things that we can do. We can insert moments and times of self-care that aren't, that don't monopolize hours of our time. You know, mindfulness and compassion exercises and, um, you know, having that cup of tea in the afternoon and um, maybe reading for 10 minutes. Um, instead of two hours. There's, there, I think there's different ways that you can insert it in your day, that you can schedule it. So those are really great tips, and that actually segues into um, one of our last questions, which is, you know, what are some practical ways that women can really focus on reducing the mental busyness? And I think some of the things that you noted, you know, being, you know, practicing mindfulness, you know, just mm-hmm. taking you know, even if you only have a couple minutes to spare, just taking those couple minutes mm-hmm. to just be present and to kind of be still, um, I think it's a great way to, you know, maybe it doesn't necessarily reduce the things that are going to kind of flow through our, our minds, but it gives you just a moment of pause, and I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, what are some other practicals that, that you would recommend? A big piece of this is also continuously working on getting to know yourself um, I like I like the term uh term we talk about self management and I like the term self parenting. So I think being able to parent ourselves well and so good parents they get to know their children and they can recognize signs like, Okay, you need to go to bed. <laughs> you're cranky, you're tired, go to bed. You know, or we notice when they're hungry or there's or they need to go outside or we know, okay, like I have a daughter who's pretty introverted and I also know, I know to give her space. I know she needs time. I also know that sometimes I just need to tell her, she, you know, you, you need to go out. You, you've been in your room all day. <laughs> you, you need to go, go out. And that's part of me knowing her, to give her that room, but also to push her when she needs it. And as we become adults, I think we become our own mom and dad, and we have to learn, just like we would for our kids, and helping them set boundaries and when to say no to things and when to say yes. So we kind of parent ourselves. And one way to do that, I have this exercise I do with my um, with my clients and also with students is I have them make columns um, on their paper. One is green light, one's yellow light, and one's red light. And green light, I have them list right now. And, and you can do this every few years or every year because we change, right, all the time. But in that green light column, what are the things that you're doing when you feel the healthiest, the most balanced, everything is feeling right on. And, you know, I mean, in my column, it's going to be things like I get, you know, eight, at least eight hours of sleep a night or I'm, I'm reading um, every few days just for fun or different things like that. And I think um, that and then the yellow light is, okay, when things are getting stressful, what kind of falls off and what gets added? And then on the red light, it's kind of what, what would it look like if it was crisis? And really, I think, like, and you said it, what your friend said is so true. We can't always make our life green light, right? I mean, everything on the outside sometimes is red light. It is it is craziness. And even if everything out here is not green light, we can look at those green light behaviors and still try to make sure we're committed to inserting those even when Everything else feels kind of crazy. But I think some of that is about self-parenting. It's about knowing yourself, um, taking care of yourself the same way you would your children. Yeah. 
I like that because I often recognize that, you know, a lot of the things that I focus on making sure that my, my children do are things that I should, you know, do for myself. So like you said, setting a bedtime and yeah. making sure you know, good foods that are well-rounded and, you know, um, or, you know, making sure I get enough time outside or, you know, the things that I'm really focused on as a parent and doing for my children. I've thought many times, like, if I would only make sure that I do these same things for myself, you know, um, yeah. and that's still <laughs> just as important to me, you know, as a mother as it is to them, as, you know, little ones. Yep, absolutely. Yes, we, and it's such a good exercise to do because we, I mean, we still, many of us still have our parents alive, and that's part of being an adult is being your own mom or dad, just kind of taking on some of those roles. And no one else is going to do that for you, really. No, no one else. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much um, for spending time with us. Where can our listeners find you if they want to? you know, engage with you further, certainly with respect to your practice. Um, yeah. They can, I, they can find me in a couple of different places. My um, phone number for calling for uh, an appointment is 423-331-1474. And I also actually have an Instagram account where I post things pretty regularly, and it is Hope and Healing NFT. I post things every day, little um, thing, tips and things. And then I also, I also have a podcast called Unstuck, and so they can find that on iTunes or anywhere else um, that they listen to their their favorite podcast. And I would love, I would love to hear from them. Great. Well, thank you so much for you know spending time with us, and we're excited to have you facilitate our um, article club discussion and. For the women who are not able to join us, um, hopefully this podcast episode will um, certainly give them a glimpse of, of the discussion from um, our live uh, meetup. So this again. is one. This is one of my favorite things to do, Alex. So I can't wait until Saturday. And this has been so much fun. So thank you. Thank you for asking such good questions, and thanks for having me on. Thank you. As we conclude today's show, I'd like to quickly cover how you can stay connected with SheTime. First, you won't want to miss an episode of the show, so head over to the podcast platform of your choice and subscribe to SheTime. I'd also greatly appreciate your feedback about the podcast, so please rate and review the show. Also, be sure to include the hashtag SheTimePodcast in your social media posts about this or any other episode of the podcast. Also, don't forget to connect with the She First Project on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at She First Project. I can't wait for you to join me back here next week for another episode of She Time. Until then, take care.